0: you know what, I'm going to start an organization. I remember she was laughing at me. She was like, okay, Sarah, you always have crazy ideas. Sure, start an organization. But she supported me, my friends supported me. Everyone around me was supportive, but they never thought this would move forward into an organization that keeps on growing. And it's now been able to serve thousands of individuals.
1: This is Groundbreakers, a show about social entrepreneurs and the innovation they lead. All right, welcome to another episode of Groundbreakers Podcast. I'm your host Sebastian DeBurs and welcome Sarah. Thanks, Sebastian, for having me. Yeah, we're very curious to hear about the story behind. Empowerment through integration?
0: Yes, so Empowerment through Integration, ETI, um, it's a nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit organization that I founded a few years ago, actually when I was an undergrad, and it stems from my own um, personal experience of being blind. So the overarching mission of ATI is changing the narrative surrounding disability, moving from a charity-based perspective to a value-based perspective. So how can we get society on one hand to believe that the inclusion of people with disability is a value for all, but then how do we also get individuals with disabilities to believe in their potential and to believe that not only can they be authors of their own lives but they can be change makers in their society. So that's kind of the overarching theme of Eti, and it it kind of stems from my own personal experience of being blind and straddling two worlds. One world where I I, I was born and raised in the U.S. so I experienced one world where I was supported, empowered, pushed to believe in myself, my potential. In that sense I lived a very full life. I went to Wellesley for undergrad study math and economics and I went to Harvard for grad school I was able to even hike a volcano in, in Nicaragua so like nothing stopped in my way and my parents and my teachers and my friends and my community really pushed me to my to my potential, to put, tap into my potential but the other type of world that I experienced was during my annual trips to Lebanon my parents are originally from Lebanon so we used to go there every year and that's when I experienced a different type of reality a narrative where people see your blindness as a disability something to be ashamed of there's an intense disempowerment narrative surrounding a disability where you start believing that. You start believing that there's something wrong with you and that you should be ashamed of who you are and ashamed of your identity, of being having having a disability. And I used to hate it. And I used to think to myself, if I lived in that narrative and that reality my whole life, I wouldn't be where I am right now, for sure. And unfortunately, most kids with disabilities, whether in Lebanon or across the world or even parts in the U.S., Kids with disabilities are marginalized because of society's assumptions and expectations surrounding disability, because of an ableism surrounding their own disability. And that marginalization is preventing from us tapping into their full potential. That potential is being lost. So realizing that reality really um, got me to start ATI. And we started um, with one program in Lebanon, and now over time, we've expanded into many programs on the international level, and we've also started a program here in the U.S.
1: Before founding ETI, you really saw these kind of two different worlds, the world in the United States, of your experience being blind, and that in Lebanon and other developing nations. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that different narrative, that d- those two different worlds yeah. did to your own worldview, and then how that inspired this organization?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, it's two different worlds, and I wouldn't I, would, I wouldn't even divide it up across developed or developing countries. Yes, in developed countries, there's better infrastructures, better policies. In developing countries, there's lack of infrastructures and policies. But ultimately the world I would divide it up into a one world where you feel very fully empowered, a world where you are allowed to embrace all of who you are and all of your identities, a world where I cannot do this. Because I cannot, because I have a disability does not exist, right? And the other world is a world where you're not seen. And if you're if you are seen, you're seen as a charity, as a burden. You're defined by your disability. Your disability is seen as something very negative or something to be ashamed of. And that is in a country like Lebanon, it's so prevalent. It's so extreme. Um, extending from ranging from extended family members to neighbors to anyone in the community to even parents. And it doesn't come from a bad place, but it comes from This is the narrative that society has seen and promotes, right? So it becomes a vicious cycle. And what happens is when a person with a disability is only exposed to that narrative, right? This disempowering narrative, they start embodying it. When they start embodying it, they start believing that they're a charity. So they start acting like that and it just becomes a vicious cycle. So that poor expectations of people with disability stems and really seeps into the homes, the education sector, the employment sector, and it just becomes this horrible vicious cycle.
1: Yeah, tell us a little bit more about your family. You have a very accomplished family and your sister has a similar experience to yours. Share a little bit more about this Minkara family.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I would say one of my, I'm very privileged and I'm very blessed to have the family that I have from my parents to my eldest sister and to my younger brother. My older sister and I both are blind. we both lost our vision when I was when we were seven years old, um, and of course, in the beginning, that was a shock to my parents because it does not exist in our family, like her um, history. Um, but my parents, especially my mom, um, never let us say the words "We can't do this because we cannot see." Never let us put our blindness as an obstacle. Yes, there's challenges. I mean, I'm not gonna deny. I'm not gonna say there weren't any challenges. Yes, there's challenges, but when the willpower is so strong and you're encouraged to tap into that willpower, you're able to really tackle any obstacle that comes your way. And because of that, my sister was able to complete a PhD in chemistry. I was able to major in math and start an organization, even though everyone around us were like, are you crazy? I remember I had a math professor in college finding it very difficult to to be like, oh, you're, you're majoring in math. Are you sure? Is this something you really want to do? So uh, that narrative again, that expectation um, does seep through in different ways. But when you're surrounded by people who believe in you, it just and it's my my family who really yeah. pushed me to to yeah.
1: Your family really believes in, in you, and you believe in yourself. And to the math, you said you studied mathematics and economics. Yes. I find that such a incredibly challenging. <laughs> How. You know, how did you accomplish those things that you accomplished? How did you excel so much in school, go on to Harvard graduate school, all these accomplishments before even starting an organization that helps empower others? So
0: I would say that two things. First of all, the human capacity is so huge. Um, And we don't understand how much we don't tap into our full capacity until we're put into positions where we are faced with a challenge. Um, So... Ultimately, yes, because I lost my sight, but my other uh, my other um, abilities were strengthened, and I was able to do a lot of math in my head, a lot of the high level math in my head, and visualize. And I think that was my asset, Um, and other things. So I was like, I mean, I was reading a, a book a few weeks ago by Viktor Frankl, and he talks about. His time during the concentration camp, he's a psychiatrist, and how he said that we don't realize how much human need, humans can really withstand a lot and grow a lot and really tap into huge capacities until we're facing with challenges. So going back to this, I don't think my I'm smarter or better than other people at all. I think I was just privileged enough and supported and empowered enough to tap into more of my capacity. Yeah. And I really believe every single person out there, everyone, no matter who they are what they are and what their background is or what even what disability they have they have such a beautiful capacity to something to contribute to the world so
1: yeah and how is eti your organization helping tap into that potential unlock that potential as you describe it
0: so on a on a higher level our our strategy is tackling the stigma on both the societal level because that's where the stigma starts and also then the individual level that embodies that stigma right so the, the entity that creates then the entity that embodies and then it becomes a cycle. Um, we have two branches. One is called the empowerment branch which is our programs in the international sphere in the developing world. Right now we're working in Lebanon where we have six programs. Um, it's a cycle of six programs where we work with children with disabilities, their parents and their community. We believe that tackling stigma and approaching empowerment and inclusion needs to be addressed from a holistic and systemic approach. And then we have the on the U.S. side, and I would say this is more. Also, I wouldn't even limit it to the U.S., but we're focusing right now in the U.S. It's called the Integration Program, and this is where we do in-the-dark trainings. So these inclusion trainings and experiences for corporations, government entity, nonprofits, universities, and it also helps us generate some income. So
1: yeah, yes. What are these in-the-dark trainings?
0: So I would say this is like kind of my current passion. Um, it, it stems from this concept of. I, if I can see you right now, no one can see us because we're you know it's this um, podcast. But if, if I can see you, um, I will size you up in the first seven seconds, right? I will label you, and then to those labels, I will attach assumptions of who you are, what you are, what your potential is, right? That's where all these isms come from, whether it's ableism, racism, ageism. But if I'm put in a position where I cannot see you, most, not all, most of these labels are removed, which means most of these assumptions cannot be created, which means you're forced to see that person for who they are, hear them for who they are. So we take that concept and we created these different structures from networking in the dark, to team building in the dark, to orientation in the dark, and we um, provide them and we do these sessions for companies, nonprofit, government, no matter what space it is, and we get participants blindfolded before they even enter the room. They're told you cannot say your name, you cannot say where you're from, what work you do. And they're guided, they're seen next to people they don't know. And then through a two hour long facilitated um, experience, we push them on reflecting on two things. A, what are the isms that we each embody, that because we're all humans and we judge, that we each embody when we focus on people and when we interact with them, so what are the isms, and reflecting and, and realizing these isms. But the most powerful, the other thing is the, which is more powerful is what are the isms we allow society to impose on us, preventing us from tapping into our full potential, because ultimately when we know we're out in society and society seeing us, we're at times we're ashamed of one or more of our identities, we're not always comfortable being our true selves. So we tailor our behavior and that prevents us from tapping into our full potential because we're not our true authentic self. And this can range from subtle ways, what we do every day, you know, from subtle ways because we all do that, to more extreme ways like in Lebanon, blind people are not comfortable using a white cane because they don't want to be identified as being blind. So how can we get every single person to embrace all of their identities and to the see the strength behind every single aspect of the identity, and see that as a strength to contribute to their own lives and, the, and contribute to the space that they're in. So,
1: so, so tell us a little bit more about ETI's work in Lebanon and other regions around the world.
0: So yeah, so in in countries like Lebanon, um, we have these empowerment programs. Um, there's a cycle of six programs. We take a blind and visually impaired kid from complete social isolation to complete social inclusion. So what does that mean? So first of all, the p- the kids that we serve and empower are kids who are the most marginalized. So we have Lebanese kids, Syrian refugee kids, Palestinian refugee kids. So a kid with a disability and refugee status, they're doubly marginalized, right? So those are the kids that we're serving. And we start off with teaching them life skills, you know, how to how to be how to use a white cane to get around, how to cook, how to go to the bank on their own. So t- tools for them to be independent. So they feel like they can have control of their own lives. Then then we take them to the next program, which is a camp Rafiki. It's an inclusive recreational educational camp where we have science, art, math dance music and it's kids with and without disability and we kind of teach them the importance and the value of inclusion and how you have the right to belong in society and you can contribute like anyone else. And we show the value of inclusion. And then we take them to the next program which is a social project program where these kids are then required to do a community service project in their own town. So this teaches them that not only can they be authors of their own lives, but they can can be contributors and change makers to their society. So we literally flip the narrative on disability and we say that you are a change agent, agent like anyone else so we and we have other programs but ultimately this we focus so much on technical inclusion when it comes to disability which is important technical inclusion is really important but we don't really focus on which is really important how do we get a kid to believe that they have huge potential they have the right to belong in society and they can make a difference so that's what we're focusing on and we've had so much success we've actually recently got One of the past participants who attended our programs in the past reached out to me last year and said, Sarah, I was a a Palestinian refugee. He's like, Sarah, I was able to finish college. I have a business degree. I want to come volunteer at ATI now. Because of ETI, I was able to pursue my own life and dream. So those are the types of empowerment we're trying to achieve.
1: Tell us a little bit more about how the company was founded. You know, you were in college. And how did this come from an idea and go from an idea into an actual organization?
0: So I never thought I would start an organization. I mean, ETI started with a summer project when I was a sophomore with my classmate and friend, Mason Murad, who's from Lebanon. And we decided, let's do a summer camp, an inclusive summer camp in Tripoli, Lebanon, where our parents are both from. We did it. We got our, That project was funded by the Clinton Foundation. It went really well, and I saw the impact that it created not only for the kids, not only for the parents, but for the community and I realized and I decided I want to pursue this because I was going to pursue a PhD in economics that that was never my plan to do an organization so after deciding this, I remember then going back to one of my best friends, um, Sarah Chang and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start an organization I remember she was laughing at me she was like, okay, Sarah, you always, you always have crazy ideas sure, start an organization but she supported me, my friends supported me my um, everyone around me was supportive um, but they never thought this would move forward into an organization that keeps on growing, and it's now, yeah, now we've been able to serve thousands of individuals. So it, it was a dream that started off as a dream while sitting in the dorm room that you know, <laughs> flourished into, you know, into something really beautiful. And again, I would say it's not my work. I mean, yes, I w- pushed forward, but because of the support of my family and my friends and my professors, and I remember my thesis advisor one of the people that really supported me, he's like, Sarah, don't apply to grad school programs in PhD economics, go pursue this. You know, and if that, that encouragement helped me to really go back home and say, mom, dad, you know, no longer doing a PhD, running an organization, which was a shock to them <laughs> in the beginning. But yeah. ultimately, it's the support of everyone around. Yeah, Yeah.
1: So tell us a little more about empowerment through integration. How exactly does it empower the people that are in the program?
0: So yeah, empowerment through integration. So it, it's it's two branches. The empowerment branch was which, which is runs in the developing world, and then the integration branch was which, which is now running in the U.S. Um, so the empowerment branch it serves and it works and empowers um, blind and visually impaired youth who are marginalized, um, who are either don't go to school, and even if they don't go to school, they're not able to continue a higher education, they don't find jobs, so individuals are marginalized in many different ways. So, we have six programs. We start off with a volunteer training program, so we actually have around 150 volunteers every season of young college and grad students. and. Those volunteers will become the the individuals to facilitate inclusion throughout the throughout the year. So we actually consider this as a program because ultimately these volunteers need to learn and be trained on how to facilitate inclusion empowerment. If they're not trained, they're going to take this narrative of charity to the to the programs, right? So that's one program. The second is a life skill training, which has two phases. Um, This is where we teach blind and visually impaired kids orientation, mobility, daily life skills, um, social literacy. So all these different skills for them to be independent and confident and um, more control of their lives. Parallel to that, we actually have parent workshops because ultimately parents are the best enablers or disablers of their kids, right? Parents are the ones that establish the first community at home. So we want to make sure parents provide an empowerment narrative at home. So then we have the Camp Rafiki, which is what ETI was born out of. It's an inclusive recreational educational camp bringing together blind and sighted kids. So kids with and without disability. And through these different activities ranging from dance to STEM, to art, to music, to sports, to soccer, Kids learn the value of inclusion. Kids learn that every single kid has something to contribute. It's not, oh, I'm here to help the blind kid. No. We try to break away that narrative and say everyone has something beautiful to contribute. Then we take them to the social project program, which is where the kids then are required to do a community service project in their own town. And it ranges from uh, beautifying a beach, to creating an accessible report for the Beirut municipality, to making a building accessible. So it's a wide range of projects. Yeah, and it's in the community.
1: And who are these kids that are involved in the program? Describe them a little bit more, and like who should we imagine enrolling in the ETI programs?
0: The kids that we're serving are kids who are completely socially marginalized kids who do not leave their homes they do not interact with their peers a lot of them don't go to school and even if they go to schools they're going to the specialized blind schools where they're treated the same way that society expects you know their low expectations so no one none of them use a white cane because a white cane is not even a concept that they 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 embrace in lebanon we're um, actually we, we're the one who introduced the white canes to them um, a lot of them don't know even how to tie their own shoelaces or put their own sandwiches together or uh, so it's just basic things right um, kids who have no hope in their future kids who have no hope in making friends outside of their homes kids who i remember a few months ago i went to the homes of one of the Syrian refugee homes in Lebanon he had two blind kids one was 15 one is 16 the girl who's 16 years old I asked her I was like do you ever want to leave your home what do you hope to do in future she's like no i just hope to continue watching my my television like you know she doesn't even have the desire to leave because she finds it as a safe space right she finds that this is the right. norm this is this is the comfort this is what the parents expected of her there's no even desire like i want to do something for my life i want us to do something different so and it just i look at her i remember look i remember leaving that home and Reflecting, and I th- and I thought to myself, I could have been that girl, and she could have had a different life. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, there's no difference. It, like I was just lucky to be put in a family, in a space, in a position where I was able to pursue my own life. And I'm it's just it really hurts to see their potentials being lost, and their parents don't see that either. They're yeah. not. They're not even. The parents are not even. The parents were. The reason why I met with the parents is because they were not willing to send their kids to the programs. You
1: know? Yeah. And so in this journey, what has been a really large challenge? I mean, it sounds like this is such a successful organization, has been able to impact so many, but was it always milk and honey or was there a major...
0: (laughs) If only! Um, I mean, as you know, when you start, there's always a challenge is funding and then finding the right people and then because you start off with like limited funding, limited staff. You're depending on volunteers. Um, I, we, ETI was running on volunteers for many years. But then I was able to really tap into and get a lot of different opportunities, like the Echoing Green Fellowship, the Halcyon Fellowship, the Forbes, different things that really promoted DDI and allowed us to get more funding. And uh, which then, with more funding, allowed me to. Build a stronger team. And then with that, we're with the in the dark programs, we're helping to bring on more funds through our income generating programs. So, but there's always challenges, always.
1: And so, how do you envision the future? What do you really hope to achieve in the next five years?
0: So, the future, I mean, on one level, this integration in the dark program, really scaling it, taking it to different parts of the world and really further developing the the program that it's not just a one standalone progress session, but we're actually looking into adding a cycle of four sessions. So doing like perception in the dark, which would be the first, then like art in the dark, then skill series in the dark. So kind of like adding different, a cycle of different progress sessions and really untapping different aspects of our potential, right? from our creative potential to our technical potential. And then on the other side, the empowerment programs, I mean, the, our, our end goal doesn't stop at Lebanon, and Lebanon's gonna be the hub for the MENA region, and then Anna will come back, and then we're gonna open up another hub in a different part of the world. And then we're also hoping to open up a advising consulting branch. So taking all of the knowledge that we've been able to create and establish and develop over the years and bring that knowledge and build the capacity for to organizations and other entities across the developing world. So for instance, I was in Kyrgyzstan a few months ago doing a speaking tour there. And a lot of individuals and organizations came up to me. And like, Sarah, I would love your help to do this project. And how do I do this project and how to integrate disability? I mean, that's a full-time project. and it, full-time thing in itself. So we're hoping that we use ETI's knowledge to benefit others through an advising consulting branch. For anyone that's interested in um, looking us up or getting in touch with us or doing an in-the-dark session for your own organization or company, please reach out to me and ETI. So our website is www.etivision.org.
1: want to tell us your story or nominate a groundbreaker, visit our website at www.groundbreakerspodcast.com and make sure to subscribe on whatever medium you're using to listen to this podcast. Our show this week was produced by Anna Batson and thank you so much for listening. I'm Sebastian Burz, and this is Groundbreakers, the story of social entrepreneurship.